You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Take me to your leader. We all know that when the flying saucer lands and the big door on the front opens up, this is what the little green people will say. Take me to your leader. This is the name of the sermon series we're involved right now because God is calling us to love our neighborhood. And the truth of the matter is that you're not where you are by accident. That God has landed you and me right where we are. He has situated us in what we're calling a neighborhood. Maybe a physical neighborhood, maybe a virtual neighborhood, but it's, it's your network. It's the people in your life. God's put you there, and the key issue isn't do you know them or do they know you. From God's perspective, the key issue is do they know him? And the question is, what is it that he gives us that equips us to help our neighbors come to know our leader, Jesus Christ? If they could tell us what they really need, if they could tell us what they would hope that God would do in their lives through our relationship, they would say, take me to your leader. I want to know life. I want to know the love that you know. But how does it happen? Well, the book that we are studying uh, for these several weeks is the book of Ezekiel. And I know Ezekiel is a strange, made-for-sci-fi book. It's not very accessible. We've struggled with it. But we're going to wrestle with it because uh, this is God's Word. And He speaks so beautifully uh, to us through this book, this apocalyptic literature that presents God's gospel to us with images and metaphors and symbols. And he gives us a series of symbols that help us as he sends us out with love for our neighbors. I told you last week, if you were here, there's a refrain that repeats again and again in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Theologians call it a recognition formula because God wants to be recognized by his people. And he wants the world to be recognized, uh, he wants to be recognizable to the world through his people. And so more than 70 times we hear this phrase, the Lord speaking to Ezekiel say, then you will know that I am the Lord. And then they will know that I am the Lord. And so our prayer here at UPC is that there be a recognition formula in our midst. We would truly know that the Lord is our God. And not only us, but also our neighbors. So last week we saw in uh, chapters 2 and 3, that there's a symbol, it's a scroll, it's an edible scroll, and this vision. And it, it, the vision conveyed to not only Ezekiel, but the community that's gathered around Ezekiel, God's call to empathy, to step aside people who are in pain and to take their pain in. That's the first step. But that's not enough. For this prophetic community, God has more to say and he moves them past just empathy. And today we see in chapter 17 of Ezekiel an invitation to affirmation. And he commissions his people to be a a, a people of affirmation givers. So I would invite you to open up your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 17. And let's have a look at this text. It's actually the whole chapter that's in view. And if you're in a small group, as I hope you are, you'll have an opportunity to to explore this in more depth than we will today, but I really want to take you to the punchline 
uh, of this uh, great chapter, and that's found in uh, Ezekiel 17, verses 22 through 24, uh, the end of the story. And if you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's Word aloud together. Ezekiel 17, verses 22 through 24, on page 684 of the Pew Bible. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish." I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. As Jackie Robinson recalled the day, it was either 1947 or 1948. It was early in the season. It was before the game began. Jackie Robinson was uh, warming up with the other Brooklyn Dodgers in the infield, getting ready for the game. The stands were filling, and that moment, Jackie Robinson knew him to be nothing more than a man who just wanted to play ball and wanted to make it in the major leagues. But there were people, as they filled into the stadium, who knew that that's the one thing that Jackie Robinson never could be. Because to them, Jackie Robinson was a Negro. And they did not want him playing in their teams. And they began to jeer, and the racism emerged. And Jackie Robinson had been well acquainted with racism. As an African-American man, he had been spat on. He had been spiked by players coming into bases. People had been, he'd been bean by pitches and uh, derided by fans. And uh, Jackie Robinson, though, on this day, uh, remembered that it was particularly bad. And he was not sure, but that this might be the end of his major league career. Because when he had been signed by the general manager, a clause had been put into his contract. It was a non-retaliation clause. That if he had ever been so provoked that he would strike back at anybody, he'd be off the team. And he was provoked at this moment. He could feel himself flooding shame and anger and righteous indignation at injustice. Surprisingly, at that moment, another player walked across the field. Pee Wee Reese, they called him. And he came over from shortstop and he stood next to his friend Jackie Robinson. Pee Wee Reese. Not an African-American, a white guy who says he had never shaken the hand of a black man before meeting Jackie Robinson. And yet something moved him across the diamond. And there he stood with a simple gesture. He put his arm 
around Jackie Robinson. And he stood there until the jeering stopped. This is how Jackie remembered the moment. He says, Pee-wee kind of sensed the sort of hopeless, dead feeling in me and came over and stood beside me for a while. He didn't say a word, but he looked over at the chaps who were yelling at me and just stared. He was standing by me. I could tell that. I will never forget it. That's affirmation. It's a powerful moment of affirmation that changes the course of, I would say, one man's life and the course of history in America. Affirmation. They say there are two people that you'll never forget. You'll never forget the person who kicks you when you're down, and you'll never forget the person who lends his hand to pull you up. Affirmation. Dictionary definition of affirmation says this. It's a positive declaration. By word, by gesture, that was certainly a positive declaration. It's a declaration of Jesse Robinson's value, who he is as a human being. I would say even more than uh, that it's a declaration. I would say uh, affirmation is a declaration that there is a life in your life that's greater than your life today. I mean, I get that definition from this text, and you'll see it in a minute, but that there's a life in your life that's more than your life today. And it it, it doesn't always have to be a big thing. In fact, oftentimes affirmation is the smallest of gestures. Just a hand on the shoulder, just a little word of encouragement, but it has a great impact. Why? Because it calls attention to the life that is the greatest of all lives, the presence of God in somebody's life. Reese's arm around Jackie Robinson gives him hope, as he says. Gives hope to a man whom God is using to break the race barrier, crossing the line in professional sports, and to be a part of what God is doing throughout the kingdom as he pushes justice into the fiber of American society as the civil rights movement begins to emerge, that's a big outcome for a small gesture. Ezekiel believes in affirmation. Uh, The text that we just read, right there he's doing it. This is actually a, a, a written affirmation that's left behind. It's been celebrated and preserved by a community who knew Ezekiel and knew that God spoke to him This is the community that was gathered around Ezekiel because they believe this affirmation. But it's a community that was just as hopeless in their own day as as Jackie Robinson was and frankly as many of us feel in our own lives. This, we're told, is a riddle. It's part of one at least. If you look at, uh, if if your Bible's still open and you just let your eye glance up to verse 2, We see how this whole chapter begins, and it's all a piece of the same thing. O mortal, propound a riddle, God says. It's a riddle. It's it's something that makes you think hard. It's something that makes you see your life differently. And they needed that. Remember Ezekiel, he's just a young guy. He's in his early 30s, a priest by training. But he's been ripped out of context. He's been deported from Jerusalem to Babylon 
And here, we're probably in the year 590, just a few years before Jerusalem actually falls, and there's this little community of expats. Really, it's better to call them displaced persons that have been stolen from Israel. And, and here they live, and their has-beens, and they're, they're all washed up. Their has-beens because they've lost their family, they've lost their livelihoods, they've lost their culture and context and land. They're washed up. I say that because of where they're living. If you've been reading Ezekiel, uh, you might have noticed that they're in a location, sort of a suburb of Babylon called uh, Tel Abib, Uh, like Tel Aviv. But the Mesopotamian meaning of that would would have been mound of the flood. A a tell is what's left after a a, a strata of a a village has been uh, decimated. And, you know, they keep building on top of these old uh, villages so a, a town, the, the mound would keep growing. To say that this was Tel Abib was to say this is the mound that was created by the destruction of a flood. And, in fact, we'll find out later they're along the channel called Chibar. And it must have overflown and wiped out this town. And that's where they live. Probably not experiencing a lot of love from their neighbors. Probably not feeling a lot of love in their life from their God. They're in crisis. And the, 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 the riddle, and I know, yeah, it's a fascinating riddle, but we won't take the time to explore it in depth. It's a, it, it, it's a story that describes their crisis. It's a fable, which is a story in which animals and trees are the actors. It's a fable that has a, a, a tender sprig as its main character. And then there are two eagles. And we, as we, if you read the, the, the fable, you go, what? And then you read the explanation, the verses that follow, you realize that this is a, a description of, of geopolitical uh, uh, news in that day, cloaked probably for safety uh, from the prying eyes of officials of uh, foreign governments in this kind of, uh, of a story. Because the first eagle is Babylon, and the second eagle is Egypt. And the tender sprig is Israel. And it's a story of intrigue, and it's a story of these great powers, and it's a story of making mistakes on Israel's part, and in the end they get destroyed, and the tender uh, sprig withers, rootless, waterless, and it dries. That's their crisis, that's their context, that's the moment into which Ezekiel now offers this word of hope, which he gets through the revelation of God in his life. And he says, let me tell you this story. Yes, this is who we are, but there is something else at work in our lives. There's a life well beyond our life at work in our lives, and that's the life of God. When we come to the part that you just read in verse 22, you need to note the difference He goes back to this tender twig, and now he says, the the Lord says, I myself will take a sprig. The language is emphatic. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. Enough with the great powers of the day. Enough with those things that have enslaved you or destroyed you. The Lord says to you, I myself will bring life into your life. There's a tender sprig in my life. There's a tender sprig in your life. 
There's a tender sprig in this church. And it's a riddle because you and I don't see it. We don't recognize it unless we can listen to the word of the Lord. Well, as Revelation unfolds, we realize that truly small things do become great things. Jesus would come teaching riddles and parables, and Ray read one of these riddles to us. It's a riddle about a seed that Jesus calls the kingdom. It's the smallest of things, and yet it grows to be a great tree. And all the birds will nest in its branches. And it's in your life, Jesus says. The seed is in your life. It's like, DNA. It's like the kingdom DNA. It, it, it doesn't have to be large at all. It just has to be there. But it will unwind your destiny as sure as anything else, more surely. And, and as we read it, we realize it's not just that Jesus tells riddles uh, about life, but that Jesus is the riddle of life. And Ezekiel, though he doesn't know it, is talking about Jesus. He's the tender sprig. He's the one in your life. And Jesus says to his followers, he says to you and me this morning, I believe I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you are my friends. And behold, I make all things new. What's going on in your life? What ways do you feel defeated? Do you feel the crisis of this fable? Do you feel like there just can't possibly be a future from where you stand right now? Well, it's to you that God says, I have a tender sprig in your life, my very own son, Jesus Christ. He's the word of God. And he meets you in the crisis of your life. I I have a friend of mine who's a Christian leader. He's He's a great guy. He lives in a way that just kind of radiates joy. And maybe you know somebody like that. I wish I were that kind of a person. And if you ask him about it, as, as I did recently... By the way, this is the kind of guy when I've gone hiking with him. And uh, when you go hiking or you, you go to the grocery store, any kind of outing, when it, whenever anybody gets within a 25-foot radius of this friend of mine, he's engaged that person in conversation before I even noticed they were there. And it's kind of annoying on a trail, you know, because you're out there in the wilderness. You think everybody else is an introvert like I am, you know, and I'm walking along. And he goes, hey, that's a cool shirt. Wow, where'd you get that color? Fuchsia. Is that fuchsia? You know, and you're like, they just kind of walk by. Does it everywhere he goes. And I go, what is it with you? And he said, well, George, let me tell you a story about two men. Tell you a story about this first guy. He was married 20 years. A leader in the church he was. But one day, his wife left him for another woman and absolutely destroyed his life to the core of his being and undermined any sense that he could love, that he was loved, even his sense of masculinity, just gone. So let me tell you a story about another guy. Another guy... uh, began to toy with alcohol, and it got out of control, and it became his God, and it overwhelmed him soon. He was a slave, and he was an alcoholic. And he began to live with such shame, he didn't know what to do until he got involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. And every day of his life, he struggles with alcohol. You say to me, George, both of those guys are me. 
And if you want to know what makes me the kind of person that I am today, it's that I believe that God is in the business of redeeming lives. And I know that Jesus has hope for me. And, it's, and that's my greatest credential. It's the suffering and the brokenness and the pain of my life. That's what enables me. That's what empowers me to move into other people's lives and be an encouragement in their lives. Jesus is at work redeeming the brokenness, my stuff. He loves me in the middle of my garbage, and I know he loves you too. There's a a poem that somebody shared with me uh, called The Old Violin, and it's by Myra Brooks Welch, and it goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile." What am I bidding, good folks? He cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two. Only two? Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, twice, going for three? But no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I to bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who will make it two? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, and some of them cried. We do not quite understand what changed its worth. Swiftly came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioneered, auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. With a life like the life that is in your life, is there anything more significant that you and I can do than to point out that same life in the lives of our neighbors, the people around us? And how do we do that? Affirmation. That's one of the ways, and it's so important. You see, this tender sprig is not just for us, but it's the beginning of a tree that gives shelter to every winged creature we see, the birds of every kind, and now the eagles who had been sort of the, the, the threat become invited into the hospitality and shelter of this great tree, Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 24, all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. This is not just for Ezekiel, not just for the community gathered around him. Not just for the Israelites, this is for the Babylonians, this is for the Egyptians. All the trees of the field will know. There's a word of affirmation in Jesus Christ for all people. And you and I are sent to share it. Now when we think about witnessing so often, we, um, we think about it as a sales transaction. Only Americans, right? We think that we've got a presentation, we've got to make sure everybody knows the terms of the contract, and we've got to close the deal, you know? Or sometimes we think of it as sort of as marketing, you know, what sneaky thing can I do? 
to help somebody know, you know, the, the gospel is true for them. And they get up at the, in the restaurant and they go to the restroom and you take their french fries and you arrange them in the shape of a cross. So, and then they come out and you go, whoa, look at that. What does that mean? What, what happened there? You know, it's not that complicated. It really isn't. Affirmation is such a small and such a simple gesture. And yet it calls people to the, an awareness of the presence of God in their life. We all need it. Everybody needs it. You and I need it, and our neighbors need it. Joyce Lanarf Heatherly says that there are two types of people in your life. There are what she calls basement people, and there are balcony people. You know, and basement people are evaluators, she says. And all of us have been trained, you know, in college they teach you to think critically and evaluate everything. And so we evaluate the people in our lives. Well, you're scoring kind of 6.5 today, but I believe you can do better. Give me a 7 tomorrow. It's all right. Basement people. But there are those people in your life, I pray, that are balcony people. And they're not evaluators. They're encouragers. They see more of you than you can see. Your life's a riddle to you, but there's something in them that allows them to see beneath the riddle and look at the truth. Bruce Larson used to talk about balcony people and our, our pastor, uh, Emeritus, one of them, and he, he would say uh, it would take 10 attaboys to compensate for one you jerk. One of the things I love about this congregation is uh, you affirm you affirm generously. You have affirmed me again and again and again. You affirm our staff, our pastors. You affirm each other. You affirm your neighbors. What a great gift. Let's celebrate it. Let's extend it. The whole Bible commissions us as affirmation givers. Just a few little excerpts. Proverbs sixteen twenty four says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. Wow. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. Notice he's even affirming them as he encourages them to affirm. You're doing this. Just keep building people up with your words, he says. Paul again in Ephesians 4 says, Speak only what is useful for building up. Is this going to edify? Then speak it. And he says, Give grace to those who hear. Your words can be portals for God's grace, this alien vitality, the life of God, through your words somehow, he uses them. 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Isn't that awesome? That heaven would endorse your words of affirmation in another person's life. And then, of course, it's, it's much more than just something you've said or something you've done. How do we do this affirmation? I want to suggest that we simply look for seedlings, that we look for tender sprigs of growth in other people's lives. Uh, yesterday, my small, one of my small groups was, uh, we were doing our Love Your Neighborhood project, and we went, there's a, one of the women in the group has, uh, she works at a, at a place where women who are recovering from addiction uh, can be there for six months and get back on their feet. And we were there painting um, doors and, and thresholds and so forth. And, and uh, at one point, I was painting a very uh, busy door that was on the stairwell. And people kept coming through, and these women. And, and uh, I, I sensed that they were appreciating what we were doing. The place was looking more beautiful. And they said, you know, thank you for making the place more beautiful. And, you know, what you would say, I think, in, in a situation like that is, no, you know, it's not the paint that makes this place beautiful. It's you. It's, it's what you're doing right now. 
because you're stepping into life. And that would be a little gesture of affirmation to say, do you see what's going on in your life? You think you're in crisis, but look where you are. You're in recovery. You're with your kid. You're with these other women. And you're taking steps. There's growth in your life. Two things keep us, I think, from hold, uh, hold us back, I think, from offering affirmation. One is that we confuse affirmation with flattery. Flattery is when it's more for our sake than anybody else's, and we say, you're the best. Affirmation doesn't do that. And we see here that Ezekiel is very honest about the crisis that Israel's gotten themselves into before the section that we read. It's not just you. Just you as you is not enough. And affirmation is honest about that. The other thing that holds us back from affirmation is confusing affirmation with endorsement. Endorsement's when you say, hey, keep it up. No, that's not quite what we're saying. Ezekiel points to God's work. And it's not that Israel is to keep up what they've been doing. It's that they're to look for what God is doing, that little tender sprig of new life in their, in their lives. And it's going to take some time. See, if you, if you and I are going to be givers of affirmation, we've got to look into the future a little bit when we look at someone's life and say, well, yeah, it may not be much right now. But if I roll by the days and the months and the years, I can see how that becomes a beautiful cedar in you. Look at what God's doing around you. There's a life in your neighbor's life that's more than their life today. Who's your neighbor? There's a Jackie Robinson in your life today, maybe many of them. And God wishes that he could come and put an arm on their shoulder. He's already done it in Jesus Christ. But he, he wishes that he could reach out physically and put the hand of Jesus Christ on the, on the shoulder of your neighbor and tell him, because I am with you and for you, it's all going to work out. And you know what? God can do that. And he's decided how he's going to do that. And his decision is to use your hand and mine to do that. He will accomplish it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for believing in us more than we believe in ourselves, frankly, more than we believe in you. You are for us. And the things that present to us as riddles and discourage us and break our hearts and confidence are of no consequence to you. May we listen to the word of God and Jesus Christ and hear it for ourselves and see ourselves through his eyes and see the spectacular life of this humble one at work in our own life and humility. And we pray then for our neighbors as well, Lord. Give us eyes this week to see that, those sprigs of life and to call it out, to call it to their attention because we know you're at work in their lives as well too. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.